Welcome, and thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat Horn, and today's episode is titled Martin Ryerson, Life of a Lumber Baron. Martin Ryerson was born on a farm in 1818 in Patterson, New Jersey. The farming life did not suit young Martin, though, and at the age of 16, he decided to strike out on his own and make the 600-mile journey to Detroit, Michigan. Detroit at this time was a growing city and was a jumping-off point for pioneers, fur traders, and lumbermen, all of which Martin was soon to be, being one not to miss an experience. By the time he reached Detroit, he was broke and had to work to save up funds to continue his travels. With some money in his pocket, he continued his trip westward, coming to Grand Rapids, where he was employed in the fur trade for a short period. By 1836, he was on the move again, this time coming to a stop at Muskegon. 1830s Muskegon was not much to look at. Early settlers complained about hot and humid weather and terrible swarms of flies and mosquitoes. Much of the area around Muskegon Lake was marshy. In fact, Muskegon means marshy river in the local Ottawa language. However, even with these disadvantages, there are many potential benefits of Muskegon. The local Ottawa camps and marshy habitat provided many premium furs for fur traders, and the potential of the Muskegon River, Muskegon Lake, and the channel to Lake Michigan had many lumber barons speculating, mosquitoes or not. Ryerson's first job in the Muskegon area was for Joseph Trottier working as a clerk. Trottier had several posts, including one on the Muskegon River, where Maple Island Road crosses it today, and one on Muskegon Lake. A clerk at a fur trade post had the duties of making deals with the natives and also keeping the record books to keep track of debts owned and paid. During his time working for Trottier, Ryerson developed an interest in Native American customs and also learned their language. So great was Ryerson's interest in Native Americans that in 1880 he commissioned a statue entitled The Alarm to be put in Lincoln Park in Chicago. This was the first statue in Chicago to represent Native Americans. At the base of the statue was inscribed, To the Ottawa Nation of Indians, my early friends, hearkening back to Ryerson's early time in the fur trade. It was during this time that Ryerson was in Muskegon that I want to divert our main story a bit as we come to an interesting part in the history of Martin Ryerson. In the 1840s, many sources claim that he married a native woman and had a child with her. However, other sources credit Martin's second wife, or first wife, Louisa Duverney with the birth of Martin's daughter, Mary. Marriage between fur traders and natives were very common, so it seems possible that he married a native. Uh, however, stigma against Native Americans might have also played a role in eliminating or glossing over this first marriage of Ryerson. There's no consensus on our records, though, so we can't be certain. What we do have is an 1850 census where there is a Mary Ryerson identified, except the Ryerson is spelled with an A and not an E, but she is living on Mackinac Island with an Oliver family, and she's seven years old. We know that Mary Ryerson was born in 1844, so this could be the daughter of Martin's marriage to that Native American woman. However, Martin Ryerson was living in Muskegon with his wife Louisa at the same time, and they have a six-year-old girl listed in the census with them named Mary Pets or Mary Pitts. So it's hard to say which of these Marys is actually the one. Some sources even claim that Louisa, Martin's second wife, was part native, blending parts of the story together. Other evidence that we have that Martin married this first Native American woman comes from the fact that Martin and Louisa, who sometimes credited with Mary being her daughter, were married in May of 1844. So if we do some math, 
it would seem that Mary Ryerson would have had to be conceived before Martin's marriage to Louisa, something that's not impossible, as we know, but something that would have been kind of unlikely and looked down upon for Martin Ryerson. We do also know that 10 years later, Mary Ryerson is living with Martin and his third wife, Mary Campo. Third time was a charm for Ryerson. Um, and upon Martin Ryerson's death, he left Mary and her children large sums of money to help take care of them. So, regardless of her lineage, she was part of the family. Now, returning to our main story's timeline, we have Martin Ryerson, possibly married, possibly not, in the 1840s. In the 1840s, the fur trade was starting to die out. In fact, in 1841, Martin Ryerson started to look for a new venture. It was at this time that he became involved with Thomas Newell, a sawmill owner, and he was contracted by Newell to be a foreman at the Newell Sawmill. Ryan was a, Ryerson was an excellent foreman and was asked to stay on after his contract was up. He was known to work 15 to 18 hour days and known for encouraging others to work just as hard. One interesting story we have of him from this time is when he was said to have caught an employee carrying a light load and walking slow. A slacker, basically. That was not allowed under Martin's watch, and he went to the man and told him to drop what he was carrying and take a break under the tree until he felt up to the work of a man. You can almost hear the sarcasm 170 years in the future here, can't you? Needless to say, the man, freshly ashamed, resumed work. At least, that's how the story goes. Although it is hard to imagine an employee today passing down that chance for a break. By 1845, Ryerson was experienced enough and had enough money to buy a mill with a business partner. After a few partners came and went, the firm Ryerson Hills & Company was formed in 1865. By then, they had two sawmills on Muskegon Lake, who combined in 1883 to cut over 34 million board feet of lumber and over 4 million feet of lath. Ryerson also owned a boarding house and dry goods store, which netted him $75,000 of sales annually. His dry goods store, boarding house, and one of his sawmills was located on the southeast side of Muskegon Lake, near a creek's entrance to the lake. Today, that creek bears the name Ryerson Creek. Not wanting to stay in Muskegon and to be close to where the lumber was being sold, he moved his family to Chicago in 1851, where besides lumber, Ryerson became heavily involved in Chicago real estate. As all realtors know, location, location, location is so important. Luck too, and Ryerson had both. When the Great Fire of Chicago broke out in 1871, his lumber yard was the only one that survived the fire. You can imagine how his bank account looked after that. On September 6, 1887, while visiting Boston, Martin Ryerson died of complications from gout. He was 69 years old. He had come from a farm in New Jersey to a fur trade post in Muskegon and all the way into a mansion in Chicago. His wealth was divided between his wife and two children as well as some local charities. There is no estimate of his net worth, but when his son Martin A. Ryerson died in 1932, he was worth $5 million. Martin Ryerson is buried in Graceland Cemetery in Chicago in a very unique black granite Egyptian revival tomb that takes the form of a step pyramid or mastaba and a pyramid put together. It was designed by famed architect Louis Sullivan. I would like to thank you for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and catch our next episode due out next month. And of course, visit the museum's website to keep up to date with everything going on here.